welcome back to another episode of the Baropolis podcast. We are back with Nathan after he did his opposition preview without me. And Hello. yeah, I would say it's good to be back, but I mean, we've got to talk about yesterday's performance. Um, Reading, that is, obviously, <laughs> this might go out a day later, so I can't really say yesterday, but yeah, we've got to talk about Reading and, and what's going on with Borough at the moment. But first of all, Nathan, how are you feeling? Um. Good on the whole. Talking about performances, I'm, I'm not. I'm not pleased at all. But we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll we'll delve deeper into that. I mean, personally, I'm a little bit ill to be honest. I don't know whether that performance is just not me sick yesterday or whether <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the cause is. But yeah, if I'm sniffing away during this podcast or my voice is sounding a little bit sort of like Sean Dyche then yeah that's why just for anyone listening or watching just swallowing gravel yeah I'm, I've just been eating gravel this week that's what it is Nathan <laughs> <laughs> on the back to uni diet of just not being able to afford anything just eating gravel outside of my uni <laughs> yeah well before we just go down a path of talking about Sean Dyche's dietary requirements I think it's best that we just get into the football. And I mean, as always, I'm just going to ask your thoughts on the team. We saw four changes from the team that was beaten from Blackpool, uh, some of which obviously through injury and some of which players returning through injury. It was Paddy McNair, Mark Bowler, Isaiah Jones and Piero that come into the team. How were you feeling about the team when it came out at two o'clock yesterday? Well, not two o'clock, what am I talking about? We're kicking off at half, <laughs> well, half 11. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think looking at the team, it, it's probably the strongest that we could feel, really. Um, um, we set up in a four back, which is what we want to see. Um, Peltier right back, which is brilliant to see him back in his usual position, not filling in in every position possible. Um, Baller and McNair back in there both solid options in there, probably two of our better defenders. So that shores things up in there um, and gives Grant Hall a little bit of a rest, which I think I think is needed considering the performances from him in the last few weeks. Um, uh, Piero in there, fantastic. I think after last week, his little cameo against Blackpool, he deserved to be in there from the start. And I think it was only a matter of time that he'd be in that first 11 anyway. Um, and then Jones in from the start. Yeah, I think, again, Jones had a fantastic start of the season. Um, Hernandez, hopefully it isn't too serious. I've heard it is just a knock, but he was omitted from the squad, which is a bit of a shame that we're signing players and they're going out with injuries straight away. But yeah, I think the, t- the team was very impressive and going into the game, I had a bit of enthusiasm thinking this team could actually do something here. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, when I seen the team myself, obviously was happy to see Piero start. And I think after his little cameo, as you say, against Blackpool, he showed real signs of enthusiasm. He wanted to be on the ball. And and that's sort of not what we were missing against Blackpool, but it, it he certainly made a positive impact against Blackpool. And I think it was the right time for him to start. Obviously, that did mean that Saliki missed out. Were you perhaps a little bit upset that Saliki missed out or did you think it was the right call? Um, I'd, I'd say it's the right call. I think 
in the t- in terms of Warnock wanting to set up in that formation with two sitters in there, Housen has to be one of them. So Saliki's that other man who is the one that looks to get about and get on the ball and try and get forward. And Piero's the perfect replacement for him in there. I think Saliki's been okay during his first two appearances um, in the last week. But I think sometimes he can get caught on the ball. Even yesterday when he came, when he got caught on the ball a few times. So I think it was fair, fair play that Piero was put in there. Yeah, I mean, it, it was good to see Piero, but it was even better, really, for me to see Mark Bowler and Paddy McNair back in the team. Obviously, we spoke about Grant Haller briefly last week, and obviously he'd had the own goal against Blackpool, and he was just showing signs that he probably needed a little break out of the team for me. I think there was just a few errors, which, in fairness, is not really typically what Grant Hall has produced when he's when he's played for us. He's always, for me, been... Pretty solid, you know, a bit of a steady Eddie, but there's a f- been a few mistakes creeping in, and obviously, yeah, it was it was probably about time that he had a little bit of a rest. And with Baller back in, of course, I mean, it did mean it was sort of a, a positive and a negative because obviously Peltier was back to right back, and of course, since the last podcast, obviously Dyke Steele, we knew he was injured, but. It seems like that's going to be a substantial amount of time out the team again for Anthony Dykes deal. And obviously, it's a blessing because Bowler was back fit. I mean, I don't know who would have played as the two fullbacks had Bowler have not made yesterday. I mean, there was talk of Sol Bamba during the weekend. I think it's best that we don't even try and think about Sol Bamba trying to play as a left back. So, yeah, it was good to see, it was good to see Bowler back and. To be honest, that was probably as, as strong as a back four as we, we could have fielded. And obviously, with the injury to Hernandez as well, I think, yeah, as you say, going into the game, I was overall just happy with the team. What we weren't happy about was the performance as a whole. But obviously, chronologically, we've got to talk about that first half. And to be honest, I've, I've got the notes beside me and I, I just wrote first half, a whole load of nothingness, really, because... Apart from the goal that was scored, which was clearly out of play anyway, I can't really remember anything actually happening. No, I agree with you there. I think after that first minute opener, um, which was it was it was rightly uh, chalked off, that they, they seemed to have a lot of the ball. It was it was a strange first half, really. We we scored our goal, which was fa- which was chalked off. They had a lot of the ball, had a few chances. Swift should have scored. He got put in. Peltier got dragged out. Housen got dragged out onto Ajaria. Both of them left Swift in acres of space. And he just didn't pick his head up and pick his spot. Um, that was a let off. Lumley made a good save for that. Um, but we, we didn't create a whole lot in that first half. Um, Spara maybe had a half chance, which he... Shot wide, very wide of the target, but it was it was just a, a very very strange, just lacklustre first half. I think. Yeah, I mean lacklustre is one word you could use. I think whilst I was sat watching the game, I was using a few other words, but <laughs> we shouldn't be dropping them on the podcast. But yeah, I mean lacklustre, no urgency, 
a lack of cutting edge. There's so many different ways you can describe it. And I mean, first, I mean, it was complete opposite to, to the first half against Blackpool. I mean, first half against Blackpool on the front foot, you know, keeping the ball on the ground, playing nice football, getting at Blackpool. And it was just, of course, considering it's an away performance, you always are going to sit a little bit deeper, of course, but it just was missing everything that you actually want to see when you're watching a football match. Yeah, it, it just weren't great at all. Um we, we seemed to be in that first half forcing the ball to Jones and that was pretty much the plan. Pass to Jones and see what happens. That that yeah. was the game plan in the first half. Um, we'd smash the ball to the left side. Crooks would try and win a flick on and we'd get, we'd get to Jones and he'd either try and beat his man and lose the ball or... That was pretty much it, really. We, we struggled to create any sort of chances in the first half. But it looked like one of those games where both sides were, weren't were great until the second half where I'd say John Swift sort of grabbed, grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck and sort of pulled Redding, pulled Redding through it. So, Nathan, moving into the second half, obviously it was a lacklustre and I think almost abject first half I mean we seem to have used that word so many times over the past few weeks but yeah moving into the second half nothing really changed and I mean what were your thoughts on again a lacklustre second half well being sat in my front room just at half time watching the game I thought is there really any point in me even coming back for the second half to be fair Um, and I, I wish I didn't it was it was that bad, really. Um, we didn't create any sort of real chances on Reading's goal. It was more just passing it around the halfway line. Reading had a few chances. Lumley pulled us out, pulled us out of trouble early in the second half. Tom Deli Bashuri got put in. Um, Housen didn't didn't follow him, and he was through on through on goal. And Lumley pulls out a decent save, but yeah, Red, Reading got the just rewards in the end, coming down our 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 left hand side where Baller is. Baller had pushed on because we continue to play a system where we man mark players pretty much all over the pitch. Other teams attacking players. Ball has got pulled out. Isaiah Jones is filled in at left back while ball has been pulled out. And uh, they're getting down that side, cross it in. And uh, Halilovic, with the worst finish I've seen in my life, pretty much sums the game up, really, doesn't it? Miscues a shot and it sends Lumley the wrong way. And we just watch the ball trickle into the, trickle into the net and... From then on, I think it was pretty much expected that this was how the game was going to finish, really. We didn't show any real urgency to get forward and create chances and get back in the game. We just let the game pass us by, really. Yeah, I think it's probably the, the best phrase that can be used, to be honest. Even before Redden had scored, I felt like the game was passing us by, obviously, 
last week. We, we talked about the difference in the team when we try and get the ball down and play as opposed to, for some reason, when we just decide to try and, you know, hoof it up, for want of a better word, and, and hope to get some flick-ons. But the game passed us by, as he's saying. It was just... It was almost like we weren't really even bothered about winning. There was no urgency. There was no will to... I mean, obviously, Piero played, and from what we've seen of him, he wanted the ball. I mean, there was a few times yesterday where, in fairness to him, he was one of the only players that was trying to hit crossfield passes and make things happen. I mean, there was a few times he made an angle and didn't receive the ball. But I think overall, again... And we spoke about it, actually, I think it was the second or third podcast, I mean, relatively early on in the season. And I just still feel like the balance of the midfield is all wrong. Yeah, I think, I think it's, a, it's a strange one. But I think when, when Piero was playing yesterday, I don't think he suits playing in that two in midfield, really. I think he needs to be a bit further forward where he can sort of get on the half turn and, and make things happen for the other attacking players around him and playing so deep and picking the ball up five yards in front of Dale Fry and Paddy McNair. I, I don't think that really suits him. I think he needs to be a lot further forward to try and influence that game. Um, but if, if that's the system that the manager wants to play, then we just have to sort of let players adapt to that system unfortunately and not get too carried away with players um, maybe not playing in the correct positions and we're just going to have to give them time unfortunately but yeah I think it's 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 a, it's a game again where we we just have let the game pass us by it's same as Coventry we didn't look like we're creating any sort of chance. And at Coventry, we had three shots on target in the space of 30 seconds. Yesterday, yeah. just looking at the stats, we had 10 shots in the game, and I can't remember many at all. If it, I don't know why it's claiming 10. Two shots on target, and two shots on target in 90 minutes is dismal, really. <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm running out of words to try and describe, I mean... It wasn't so much that we were dreadful and we were losing, you know, one of them performances where just nothing seems to go your way, you know, each pass gets intercepted or one player in particular keeps on giving the ball away. It was just so meh. Yeah. It is literally just a shrug of the shoulders. That's all yesterday was. That's the best way I can describe it. There was no... I mean, Isaiah Jones, he tried and obviously didn't really have that many opportunities really to run it as fullback. And when he did, obviously, he wasn't too successful. And that's sort of just, it's almost the way I feel about Middlesbrough at the minute is similar to yesterday's performance. It's just a bit of a shrug of the shoulder. Like, oh, well. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's down to. Yeah, whether that's down to the, the manager or whether that's down to the, the constant cycle of starting fresh and having no sort of identity, I think 
it would be fair for me to call our club at the moment, and to be honest, for the past five years, we're having a complete identity crisis because we don't have one. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you. I mean, sorry, Chris, you finish. You uh, finish. We've gone from Tony Pulis, well, Gary Monk before that, to then Tony Pulis, you know, a steady head that wants to, let's be honest, not play a very nice brand of football. We've then gone to Jonathan Woodgate, who, in fairness, I don't think ever really was right for the job and who probably it was too early, even in his managerial career, to just give him a job of that size. In fairness, he, he tried to change the way we played. He, he tried, you know, to get the ball down. And obviously, there's the famous line about the golden thread. And I mean, the golden thread snapped it off after about two games. Under- <laughs> Jonathan Woodgate throughout the club so yeah I mean from Woodgate obviously we went to Warnock and and even now I think Warnock deserves credit for what he's done and keeping us up and I mean even last season up until Christmas we were everything that a Neil Warnock team typically is we were hard to score against um, solid defending set pieces I mean, even then, we still struggle to score from set pieces, but we were finding ways to score. We were finding ways to grind out games. But from probably January onwards and going into this season again, it's just we've lost all identity. And Mark, yeah, it, in fairness to to um, the Bora Breakdown podcast, I was I was listening to a clip from there the other day, and, and I think it was Johnny talking about just. We don't have a style. If someone asked me what what type of team we are, I could I couldn't say because we don't have a style, and it it just goes back to identity. I think. I mean, we'll get onto it later because of the Twitter questions, but I just think we're at a stage now. We're at a we're at a pause where if we did change manager now, I think it would probably be for the best for Warnock and for us as a club because we've got Kieran Scott in who wants to implement something different and get a forward-thinking club. I mean, I watched Brentford yesterday and tweeted about it and just said, how nice would it be to watch a forward-thinking attacking team? Yeah. And a club that you know is trying to do things right and I just feel like <clears throat> give it a few more games and if results don't improve that it, it's just in danger of becoming toxic again. And it got to that stage under Pulis. It got to that stage under Woodgate. And I just think for once, it's time that Steve Gibson sort of just stands up and and sort of almost... Reacts. Rubs. Yeah, reacts. Just reacts to what, what's going on. Yeah. Instead of Start leaving it too late. And just sort of starts afresh. And I know last week I spent pretty much a full five minutes of the podcast saying we can't go back to the we're in a transitional period again but if that's what it's going to take if if that's you know getting rid of Warnock and it probably sounds like I'm, I'm desperate for him to go but to be honest it's not even Warnock it's the past five six years at the club that I'm just at a point where again I'm just like even watching games I don't really get excited about watching games anymore. It's just, oh, we've got a game and come on here and talk to you about it. And obviously it's brilliant uh, to talk about it and hear everyone else's thoughts. But I think I echo, uh, I've seen a few other comments and it's just, 
it's our brand of football, it's everything that we stand for, and it's just all a bit of nothingness, really. Yeah, I think, well, I think you completely bang on, really. Uh, talk about identity. Last year, we were defensively solid for the first half of last season, but since since the turn of the year, it's been horrific, the defending. Some of the defending has been awful. Um Yesterday, defending horrific, and I think we've conceded a fair amount of goals this season as well. Um, but even listening to Sky Sports yesterday, they talked a lot about Middlesbrough being good from set pieces. I don't know what sort of things they're seeing, but Reading, apparently one of the worst defensive um, sides in the league from set pieces. So they were bigging it up. They were bigging it up. What one in particular? One set piece. Um, say it was quite late in the game. Saying, "Oh well, we know Reading's issues from set pieces and Middlesbrough. You know Neil Warnock side typically good from set pieces." And I'm thinking, "What are you talking about?" And we took it short to Tavernier. Tavernier's put a, tried to put a ball in the box and he's hit the first man. It went for a throw. And I just thought that just pretty much sums Borough up at the minute. Like we don't have anything really about us at all we're not defensively solid we don't go and get at teams and try and outscore them we're just a whole load of just nothingness and just in a constant state of stagnation that's what I've found from this from watching Borough over the last sit pretty much since returning to the championship just constant stagnation and we've tried tried uh, different methods to get out of the division, whether whether that be spending our way out, which failed, and we sacked a manager after six months, or staying for Pulis. Who? How long was Pulis here for? A year and a half, two years nearly. So we have, we have had managers in that time that have had periods of time where they can sort of steady the ship and turn it round and get it going in another direction. And I thought that that was going to be happening with Warnock, really. He steadied the ship by staying, uh, by keeping us up, which was brilliant for him to keep us up because I had no, no questions that we were going down 100%. Um, and he did turn us around last season, start the season. I thought we we're on a roll here. This could, this could be us. But since since Christmas, it's been nothing short of just embarrassing, really. That the the win the winter the wins. I don't know what it is now that that stat, but it keeps keeps ticking over every week. Ten wins in forty near enough, which is about twenty five percent win ratio, which just simply is not good enough. And yeah, I think last week. It was a bit of a strange podcast with a lot of the assumptions that were coming in. I um, I was listening to them and thinking, I'm pretty much turning Warnock out in this in this podcast. Yeah, over, the, over the course of that podcast, it felt like you went from, yeah, we're not doing great at the moment, to at the end, you were like, I've sort of made my mind up now. Yeah, and yesterday, it, it, it is really becoming hard to sort of back 
the the uh, the team at the minute and, and Neil Warnock. It's yesterday was just just meh. I think that's just the word that word of the podcast today yeah. is just meh, yeah. pretty much, and just shrug of your shoulders and. It was just nothingness yesterday. And we haven't even finished talking about the game yet. I know. I mean. we, we, we've just got off on a big tangent. But the thing is, it, it, it does, it did need to be, it did need to be talked about. But we'll just talk about quickly Crook sending off. I mean, it isn't a sending off. I don't care what anyone tells me. It simply isn't a sending off. I mean, yeah. We- the game was already done. I don't think... He, I mean, just going back to the game again, normally if you're getting beaten, you go into the final five minutes of a game and you think, do you know what? We're, I feel like we might nick something here. There was not one fibre of my body that thought, yeah, we'll get a late one here. Yeah. Really nice. I just thought, do you know what? The game, as soon as Reading scored, I thought, well, we've lost. Yeah. And, and I mean, I- the substitutions I just want to quickly talk about, I mean... Bringing Sparar off when we're chasing the game, not bringing Uche on, and that is, we'll, we'll move on to it shortly, but that is one of the questions why Uche didn't come on. And I just, some of Warnock's decisions of late, I think the Sparar substitution yesterday, earlier on in the season when he kept on taking Uche off, and just overall, just, yeah. The, the way we played was just, it's not nice to watch. There's no excitement. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm at risk of going on another tangent. Yeah, I mean, you've asked me about the crook sending off. And <laughs> in my opinion, it wasn't a sending off. I think anyone that's played football or knows football knows that you've got to go for that ball. Yeah, The ball's yeah. there to be won, and obviously he's, he's jumped in, but it's, it's not a red card. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's rescinded, to be honest. And that's a whole other topic that we could go on about for days. <laughs> quality and some of the decisions that are made from EFL referees but it's probably best we don't go into that either I'll be honest yeah just a, a sorry Nathan just a question before we actually move on to the questions and assumptions from Twitter yesterday is that as bad as we've been all season that and Coventry pretty much they're, they're, the, they're the two I think the Coventry one stands out to me quite a lot considering we were we were both in that away end that day yeah. I, I think it always is probably worse when you've paid and you're in the away end <laughs> just watching everyone around you celebrate as your team gets beat but I mean even watching it on Sky yesterday it was I felt sorry for anyone that travelled and fair play to those that made the journey especially yeah. for a half 12 kickoff. yeah I mean again can talk about Sky Sports' decisions to put Games like that on the TV. I mean, we've got Cardiff away in October, which is a half twelve kickoff as well now, which is another very uh, strange. We'll just call it strange decision. Um, but yeah, going back to your question, there is that as bad as we've been all season? Yeah, pretty much is is the one word answer. I think we showed no urgency again. After going one goal down, even before going one nil down, we didn't look to take the game to them and try and go into a lead and get something from the game. It just looked like we didn't have any sort of real plan at all, really. And looking at that team, 
those players on paper, when you saw that team, you look at it and you think, yeah, that 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 team's as good as we can really field at this current time. And if you can't strike a tune out of that team, then maybe it maybe it's time to uh, to move on. Unfortunately. Yeah, and I mean, I I didn't want to. I'm trying to move on from it, to be honest. I didn't <laughs> want to go back to it, but just thinking again of yesterday, and I don't think, not that I don't think it's fair, but I don't really think yesterday there was one specific player that let us down. But to be honest, just thinking of that that moment where Housen lost his man. And I think we, we spoke about losing the midfield battle again yesterday. And to be honest, I think for me, it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts on this, but I just want to highlight Johnny Housen and say, I think, I don't know whether it's the role he's playing in, whether it, because obviously we do play the three, but even with Piero or Saliki next to him, they are the one that goes further forward and, and tries to link play up because we don't really play with a number 10. Even Crooks seems to have sort of dropped back as the games have gone on. I mean, against Bristol City, he was pretty much playing off Uche and he's slowly just moved back and back and back to the point where now he's almost playing as an eight, which I don't think is his position at all. And I just think that Housen is... <sighs> It's difficult because, again, it is partially the system's fault that he is effectively playing as the deepest midfielder and a one a one man shield to try and stop the likes of John Swift, the likes of Ajaria. But I just feel like, to be honest, like we said about Hall, Nevis, I, I would quite like to see him just have a few games out of the team and and just see how we do without him. I, I could be completely wrong. We might. We might look even worse, but just for me yesterday, he was one of the players that I did think just looks tired and just looks like he could do with the rest, to be honest. Um, I'd say possibly because it did come up yesterday that Housen has played every minute in the in the league this season. But I'd just like to put it to you that we, we've, we've both talked about balance, as you say earlier in the podcast, the balance in the midfield looks to be all, all wrong. And I think... Housen being in there is the only real one to be sitting in and defending. It is usually in games with Borough, we, we do usually get overran in midfield a lot. And yesterday with uh, Delhi Bashuri, Drinkwater in there, Swift, uh, Halilovic and Ajari, you're all, all roaming about because they're all really central players. Um they're all yeah, roaming about. The work is a, a front three, but I mean, they all interchange. It's They're just sort of three attacking midfielders rather yeah. than your typical left winger or right winger. Yeah. Um, I think they drag, they, well, they were certainly dragging a, a lot of our players all over yesterday. Um, and I think Housen pretty much, I, I, I do know that Piero or Saliki are in there with him. But he is exposed in that position. Um, and I think the man marking doesn't help, unfortunately, because Housen would usually be picking one of those players up 
um, in attacking midfield, but with Peltier picking a Jari up like he was yesterday and who was the other one on the other side? Uh, Helilovic being picked up by Bola. I think that leaves House in it, yeah, exposed, I think is the word. Um, because, of course, you can just drag players about. When, when, when some team sets up to man-mark you, you can just drag them all over and we do we do get dragged over uh all over the pitch quite regularly when we try this um but it, it has worked in the past so i'm not going to slander it too much um but when you say there about crooks dropping in into that eight i'd have piero in that eight really um that eight position um looking to create more get on the half turn and I, I don't know what you what to say about Crooks really. I think in the last few weeks especially I don't think he's offering all that much now. I think in the system that we want to play and the way we want to play where we smash the ball up front and he's and Crooks is stood on one wing, he plays a part because he jumps with one of their players and tries to win a flick on. But I, I don't know. He he seems to have gone quite off the boil for me in the last few weeks, which, of course, is probably more likely considering we have been on the losing side quite a lot in the last few weeks. But Yeah, yeah. I think for me, the fact that Crooks has... I don't want to say off the boil because I feel like that might be a little bit harsh, but the fact that Crooks hasn't been having as much of an impact as what he has or had, sorry, the first few games of the season, it can sort of be translated back to the departure of Sam Morsey. And at the time, I'll hold my hands up, I sort of thought, do you know what? It was probably best for both parties and we were obviously bringing Saliki in. But after watching Saliki and, and realising that he's more... He's more if you were going to compare closer to the two, I think he's closer to Piero than what he is uh, Morsi and probably in that midfield sort of two or three, whichever way you want to look at it. Had we kept Morsi and he'd, say, played the housing role yesterday, if he plays alongside housing or even as that one sitter, he is that sitting midfielder that is probably not really going to get past the halfway line, break up play. And the man-marking system suits him better because he is literally in the team to like put out fires. Whereas when Housen's in there, I, I do think that, yes, he is effective at, at defending, but then there's also that part of him which I think is somewhat... Um, responsible for when we do get dragged about is because it is in his nature and we've all seen him at Norwich and at Leeds to sort of push on a little bit and I think because of the fact that we don't have Morsi that is affecting Crooks because if you look back to the Bristol City game I think it, it will have been or I'm, I'm tempted to say Bristol City but it may have been QPR we played almost more of a four-two-three-one, as a as I know. Obviously, we spoke about 
Piero sitting slightly deeper and Saliki sitting slightly deeper. But with the two of Housen and Morsi, that allows Crooks to play as a 10 off Uche or Spira. And because he's not getting that freedom to play in that role, I think that's, for me, the reason why he's just not affecting games like he was earlier on in the season. Yeah, I'd agree with you there as well. I think in the comparison with House and, and, and Marcy, um, Marcy is that natural number six, whereas Housen for a, a lot of his career has played as an eight and looked to drive forward from midfield and sort of create things for, for teams that he's played in in the past. Um, so I think in recent years with Housen getting getting on a bit and losing a bit of pace in his legs, I think we have tried to transition him into being that number six to sort of just be the man that breaks up play like a Sam Morsi was um, and like an Adam Clayton was all those years ago. Um, so it is, it is a strange one, but yeah, I think going back to what we talked about ages ago, the balance in midfield's wrong and yeah, we, we seem to be struggling a lot with midfield battles in the, in the last the last few weeks, especially and when you get, I think it's, it's fair to say when you get beat in that midfield battle, usually the game, the game's won and lost in there, isn't it? So. Yeah. Um, I think unless there's anything that you want to discuss further about yesterday's game, I'm happy to move on. I mean, I would have been happy to not speak about it, but of course we've got to, um, <laughs> Yeah, Nathan, is there is there anything else that you, you want to pick out or any individuals that you want to speak about or are you happy to move on to Twitter questions? Um, I just meant just mentioning it there. Of course, we said didn't have um, all that many chances throughout the game yesterday. But I think our biggest chance of the game was Joel Lumley. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, he... In fairness to him, kept us in the game. He did, yeah. He come the closest to scoring as well. I mean, it's just what can you say? So yeah, Nathan. Moving on from Reading, obviously, we asked again, as we always do, for some Twitter questions, your statements, and your opinions. And obviously, I think you actually put underneath or quoted the tweet one of the two that it's going to be interesting, and it certainly was to hear some of the opinions after what was such a disappointing result. And the first one that we received on Twitter was from Spainstar24, I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Um, and he said, why have the referees been absolute garbage this season? And also, why didn't Uche get on? Uh, John also mentioned about Uche, but I've sort of got you two questions there. So first of all, why are the referees so garbage? Um. Uh... Do you know what? I'd just rather not talk about refereeing decisions because I think it gets away from the game, really. But yeah. why have referees been absolutely garbage so far this season? I think we'll just take out the so far this season and just say full stop because the, the standard of refereeing in the EFL, even in the Premier League, is abysmal, to say the least, in, in most games. So... Just to jump past that, uh, 
they're, don't want they're, to just, they're just horrific. Like uh, Neil Warnock and sort of blame the referees despite yeah. getting a player sent off in the 87th minute and not friend score the full game. But yeah, um, to answer the question about the referees, I think yeah, we we don't want to we don't want to get drawn up on how bad they are because it's it's nothing that we haven't seen before. But yeah, on Uche, uh, as I said, John also asked why didn't he get on the pitch? We were chasing the game. What was the reason for him not coming on? Neil Warnock's decision making. I think that's just. That's just what we've had to deal with in the last few weeks. Some of the decisions are just a bit strange to look at. And I think you can go all the way back to the start of this season where we played QPR at home and he brought Tuber Akpom off the bench, only for him to be shipped out the door two days later. Yeah. So it, it just, nothing ceases to, God above, nothing ceases to amaze me with some of the decision-making. Um, I think Jones shouldn't have been brought off yesterday either. Um, but especially especially the Sparrow one, what a strange one that was. I mean, chasing the game, you need a goal. So you take off a number nine and uh, throw Crooks up front, who's just the big lad that you try to hit. It's it's just a strange one when we have Uche there on the bench that can provide for me a much bigger problem for Reading's defence than leaving Crooks up there on his own. I think Uche is probably our best player in the squad at pinning players and bringing others into play. Really, I mean Spira has been doing that uh, okay as well, but. Going off the first few games of the season, Uche was fantastic at that. And with 10, 15 minutes to go, why not take the risk and bring him on? It's it's a baffling decision for me. I don't have I think the, the thing that makes it even more, I was going to say concerning there, but I mean, even more crazy really, is the fact that we haven't even mentioned it yet. Reading were playing with a team without a recognised centre-back. Yeah. We've literally, I think, a full-back and a centre-midfielder at the back. So if you're playing as someone that doesn't tend to come up against, you know, the the bigger threats that the Championship has to offer, the, the likes of Uche and other strikers, Mitrovic, when you're not used to having a, a bully of a striker, you know, try and pin you in and get fouls and, and just cause problems... I mean, we, we just let them have the day off, really, didn't we? It, it just it seemed like the perfect opportunity to throw Uche on and say, have a battle, try and win some flicks, try and, you know, make things happen. And for whatever reason, he just wasn't introduced. It, it, like you say, it, it is a baffling decision for me. Yeah, it's a very strange one. And I spoke with Louis, my, uh, my mate, who was on the opposition preview the other day. Um, and he... he just spoke to me. He was at the game yesterday and he said, I thought we'd provide a lot more threat than we did. And he said he was baffled as to why Uche didn't come on. From what he's seen this season, he says Uche's been everything that we talk about on here. He's been a, a brute. 
He uh, gets the ball down well, causes problems, um, and just looks to be an all-round threat. And what a strange decision to not bring him on. I think it's just I'm lost for words as to why he didn't wasn't brought on the pitch. Really strange one, very strange one. Yeah, it is very strange, and I mean. Just talking on on your mate that, that done the opposition preview, Louis. I mean, he said yesterday he was at the game, as you've just mentioned, that he was shocked as to the fact that we didn't offer anything. But I mean, I'm just laughing about it in my head now. It goes to show that you have not offered nothing when the best chance of the game falls to your keeper that comes up from a corner. Oh, unbelievable, really. I mean, that's the position that you would... I'm not saying that Joel Lumley should have been subbed off for Uche, but that's the position where Uche probably should have been had he been on the pitch when we had a corner. And you would hope Uche would do a better job of of scoring than, than what our keeper would. I mean, again, one of the many things I thought I wouldn't be saying in this podcast when we decided to start it, but yeah. It's our goalkeeper had the best chance of a game. That's absolutely <laughs> unbelievable to talk about, really. A seemed- hundred minutes we played yesterday. Yeah. A hundred minutes. And out, out the full game, the best chance we had was a, le- a header in the last minute from our goalkeeper. Unbelievable. <laughs> if you don't laugh, you will cry. So, yeah, I mean, let's just laugh at it. Let's just laugh at the fact that Joe Lumley has caused more of a threat than we managed all day. Yeah, crazy. But it just—if that—if that doesn't show any anyone the lack of threat and load of just nothingness that we provide going forward, I don't know. I don't know what does really. <laughs> Goalkeeper having the best chance of the game. Christ. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're, we're talking about a load of nothingness and the lack of threat. And to be honest, I think the argument now is, as well as the fact that, you know, Neil Warnock was coming to the end of his career, that the tactics and the players we have just don't match up. We've got the likes of Sparar, as we say, Piero, Saliki, Hernandez, of course, he's injured, but Jones... And Neil Warnock's tactics just don't suit what the squad we have, to be honest. And I also seen a comment this morning, actually, which said, do you think that the fact that we have these types of players and we have a bigger squad to choose from, as opposed to earlier on last season, where, you know, you could name the starting eleven before the team had come out and you knew every week pretty much what was going to be the team up until January. Do you think the fact that he's also, sorry, almost got more attacking options is actually sort of making us worse? And I know that sounds ridiculous, but these types of players are not really your typical Warnock players. And I'm starting to just think, does he actually know how to use them correctly? Um, I don't. I don't think it's a case of that because we've seen him work with players in the past that you probably think he's just not a typical Neil Warnock type player and Neil Warnock makes them perform. I think the one you look at is 
Terrapt. He, he made him the best player in the division and probably one of the best players the division's ever seen. So I think that's a bit a bit harsh, really. But I think, I think more so, to be honest, I've probably put that question across it a little bit. Uh, I've probably worded it slightly wrongly, but not in terms of a certain type of player, but do you think he would prefer, say, a Duncan Watmore? I mean, we haven't yeah. really seen an awful lot of him recently. Duncan Watmore, you know, he's not a holding midfielder, he's an attacker, but do you think he's almost got a little bit of pressure on him to the fact where he feels like he's got to play everyone? I know it, it shouldn't be the case, but I'm just trying to find reasons as to why it's just not working. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a strange one because I think in the championship, especially, rotation is needed. Um, I think we've had in the last few weeks Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday. Of course, we played. We had a week. We had a week off this week, but. Saturday, then we've got Tuesday night and next Saturday. So it's the games do come thick and fast, and I think you do you do need to rotate or else injuries come. But then again, it seems with Borough at the minute, injuries come whenever, no matter what. So it is important that we do have a bigger squad and a bigger pool of players to pick from because we seem to just be having injuries left, right, and centre and I dread to think where we would be if we didn't have that pool of players, unfortunately. So, Nathan, the next question that came through was from Matt, and I think it was always going to get to this point, to be honest. And Matt asked, if we fail to win the next two games, does Gibson have to make a decision before the international break? And if Gibson doesn't step in, does it mean that Scott is going to have to and sort of, in his new role, make a decision that probably no-one at the club probably... Foreseen before we made Scott's appointment. Um. Yeah, I think if we fail to win either of the next two, really, I think um, we're seriously going to be struggling. I think it it more depends on that whole game, really. Yeah. I think if you if we go and play Sheffield United and either win or draw, and don't follow that up with a win or something at Hull next week, I think it probably signals... Especially going into an international break. Yeah, that's what I mean. The international break gives you time to uh, to make make change um, and it's probably the perfect time, really, if, if we don't do anything in this next week. I think it is probably time for Gibson to pull the trigger. Unfortunately, I think as much as I uh, as much as I like Neil Warnock, it's it's painful to watch the football at this, at this moment in time. And I was speaking to a, a mate yesterday who's a Leeds fan, and he he just was chatting to me about the Borough and other football, and he said it's a strange one with Warnock because. When he's your manager, you, you're a bit iffy on him. It's when he's not your manager, everyone loves him because of the person he is when he's um, in press conferences and he's always that 
laughy, happy bloke, isn't he, in press conferences. But when it comes to the football, he says it's just dire at times. And yeah, I think I think it is it is probably getting to that point now where if I was Steve Gibson, I'd be thinking, where could we possibly go for for replacements? Yeah, well, I mean, that sort of leads us very nicely into the next question, to be honest, Nathan. It's as if you've actually seen the notes that I'm looking at. (laughs) Yeah, so Noah asked pretty much if Warnock is sacked. And it's it's sad that it's got to this point, to be honest. Uh, Who would you want to see replace Neil Warnock? Um, it's, It's a strange one, again, because there are names available but whether or not they'd either want to come up north and manage Middlesbrough or or what, it, it just depends. But I think if you want to have your Woodgate golden thread of attacking football, the man's got, got to be Eddie Howe that you want to look at. But I don't think that'll ever happen, unfortunately, for us. Um, I think he's he's been at Burnley in the past and he was homesick being that far up north so coming to Middlesbrough you probably get a nosebleed so I think, I think in terms of finances alone it, it's just yeah it's not plausible I think you know we've seen before we had the chance <coughs> to employ Slavisa Jukanovic before we appointed Woodgate and obviously we, we couldn't come to an agreement in terms of the finances behind that and I think Eddie Howe would be wanting something similar if not more so yeah I think that's a bit of a non-starter from yeah. from the other names that are available that we know of. Obviously, Alex Neal, uh, Chris Wilder. I think apart from those two, in terms of you know UK names, yeah, yeah, not really anyone else. But for me, I think now would probably be a good time to try something new. And I can't really actually give you a name, but by that I mean we've gone for a foreign manager once in our history, Aito Karanka. And obviously it doesn't necessarily mean just because the new manager may come from uh, a different country that he's going to be the saviour and we're going to play attractive football. But I think in terms of just an identity going back to that and a different culture and obviously with Kieran Scott as well I just I think it's time we we tried something fresh and new and not one of the not fresh and new by employing one of Gibson's mates or Stuart Downing I mean he's just retired so (laughs) never rule that one out but yeah I think for me I'd be looking uh, in the German leagues, in the French league, Italian. I mean, I, I can name any amount of countries. And yeah, if it gets to that, of course, it would be a discussion where we'd have to do a little bit more research. But at the moment, I'd say if Warnock did go, I want to see something completely fresh, to be honest. Yeah, and I think Scott's done work with foreign managers in the past, of course, the, the main one. It's Daniel Farker at Norwich. Um, but for me, looking at looking at things now, I think if we don't if we don't go down the uh, the foreign route, I think the man I'd be looking at certainly is Chris Wilder. Um 
I think the way in which he's he's only had two jobs previous to to where he is now. Um, he was at Northampton Town and was a relative success there. And then his his story at Sheffield United is fantastic. He stabilised the ship in League One, got them promoted, um, and the one League One at a canter, really, I think. Um, got that side into the championship and stabilised them. And within one season, they were ready to go again and bounce. And they went to the Premier League and played some fantastic stuff on the way. Playing the back three with wing backs, something that seems to be a regular theme in the championship and with a lot of sides in the division now, they go with that three at the back and play with wing backs. Um, and I, I'd love to see that at Borough as well. I think his his style of play where he has the wide centre-backs that overlap, I think that's fantastic um, and did play a huge role in them finishing in the top half of the Premier League prior to COVID. But of course, they, they did struggle and there were there were reasons for that with him falling out with the board at Sheffield United. But I'd heard in weeks gone by when the Forest job was available, um, which has now been taken by Steve Cooper. I think Wilder had said he'd have been willing to speak to Forest. So yeah. I'd, I'd see... No reason why he wouldn't want to speak to us or see what sort of plan we had for for the club if we were to part ways with Neil Warnock. Yeah, I think I just had a little giggle to myself there because you talked about overlapping centre-backs and the thought of Sol Bambro, Grant Hall trying to get past <laughs> is something that is certainly interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I hope that answers your question. Noah, thanks for the question and... And thanks for the, the other questions as well. Um, I mean, you spoke about Sheffield United and Chris Wilder's old club. I mean, it leads us quite nicely in uh, the next up fixture for Middlesbrough and Neil Warnock. And it is his old club as well, Sheffield United. I mean, there's plenty of connections, isn't there? But before we talk about what sort of threat that Sheffield United are going to pose, I've seen a lot of talk on social media that this game is pivotal for a lot of people as to whether Neil Warnock ultimately stays in a job. Do you think, should we get beaten? Of course, it's, it is a manner of how you get beat if, if we play completely differently and see signs of improvement. You know, it, it might change opinions, but is it a case of win or it's over? Is it at that stage? It's getting to that point, isn't it? I think um, results haven't gone our way this season. Um, and I did hear on Sky yesterday as well, they were saying results haven't gone our way, but the performances have been there. And I'm not too sure I agree with that, really. I think yeah. in games, we maybe you've showed signs for 20 minutes out of 90, but that's, that's not enough. To, to get results in this division. Um, and we've been rightly punished by, by teams for, for uh, playing so abjectly and poorly, really, throughout games. So, yeah, I think it, it really is a, 
an important game and should should we get punished again with another defeat um, and perform as, as poorly as Reading and this the second half really against Blackpool, I think. I think it's probably a time to think about moving forward without Neil Warnock at the helm, really. Yeah, I mean... Throughout this podcast, we've sort of it's felt as though we've made our opinions clear on what we think sort of needs to change. And for me, I think it's always a case of when a manager's under pressure, the hashtag starts, doesn't it? It's <laughs> Woodgate out or Warnock out or Pulis out. And I don't think I'm at that stage yet. That might seem surprising considering I've spoke of how disappointed and and angry I was with the performance yesterday but it's one of them where I know that really moving forwards I don't think that Neil Warnock is the right man for the job and I don't really see a point in him staying beyond probably now if nothing's going to change but I don't want to be one of those where sort of, it, it takes away from what Warnock did do, because I'll, I'll always sort of be grateful for the fact that, you said it earlier in the podcast, had he have not come in, we'd have probably still been a League One club now. Yeah. And I think he does deserve credit for that. And I think if he is to leave, I want it to be sort of, and I know you've got to be selfish and look out for the club, but seeing as though it's probably going to be his last job as well, I don't want to be the person that says Warnock out and try and like create a bit of a, a toxic atmosphere. But yeah, I think should we get beat, going back to my question that I asked you, should we get beat off Sheffield United? I think ultimately it probably is time to to part ways and, and start something fresh. So on to the game itself, players to look out for. Um, I picked out two, one of which, uh, similar to Martin Waghorn, I feel like, just one of those players that always has a good game against Middlesbrough. Uh, Billy Sharp, I think his scoring record is is pretty good against us. Uh, I remember he scored for Southampton against us, and of course he, he scored that wonderful goal um, after the, the tragic news about his son um, a good few years back now when he was playing for Doncaster. And yeah, I mean, Billy Sharp, he scored yesterday, spoke in his post-match conference about how much he hates Derby. Um, uh, is Billy Sharp a player that you'll be sort of expecting to score on Tuesday night? I think Billy Sharp is a testament to himself, really. I think he's a fantastic footballer and a fantastic goal scorer in this division. One of the best of all time in the, in the second tier, really. Um, I think given Sheffield United being in the Premier League in the, in the recent few years and they've spent heavily on, on forwards to try and keep them in the division with McBurney, Brewster, Moose, all these players which have come in for large fees. And it's a testament to Billy Sharp that He's the one that's still leading the line for Sheffield United when they've come back down in the division. And he's the one that's firing in the goals for them. Um, 
his movement is outstanding, even though he's getting on a bit now. He still has that slight turn of pace to get away from players and create himself that space. And he's one of those where he only needs one chance and it's in the back of the net, really. And I think with the players around him in that Sheffield United side as well, now that things have started to click for them, I think that he's the man to put away all their chances and he's going to get a lot with the players that are around him creating. Yeah, and and one of the players that are around him creating, he, he was bought brought in late in the transfer window, Morgan Gibbs-White. He's a player for me that I think is probably unfortunate not to still be at Wolves. I mean, they're, they're struggling at the moment in the Premier League. And, of course, he is a creative player, someone, to be honest, that I would have quite liked to have seen at Middlesbrough. He's both-footed almost. Uh, you, you never quite know what foot is his strong foot. And, yeah, uh, a player that... It's undoubtedly had an impact on Sheffield United's recent upturn in form after a poor start of the season. Obviously, the only I think they only picked up one point out of the first three games, but since then, um, they're now unbeaten five times in the league. So yeah, Morgan Gibbs White, uh, another player that you wary of what he could do to us on Tuesday night. Yeah, I think he's he's probably the one to watch really. Um one of the better attacking players in the division coming down from the Premier League. Um, He was on loan at Swansea last season and proved to be a good player for them in the opening few games, but suffered quite a serious injury that kept him out for the the remainder of the season. And he's dropped back down to the Championship this year. And from what I've seen of him so far, he looks very, very dangerous. And someone I don't want to see running our defence on Tuesday night. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's in the similar mould of a, a Chris Willock who, I mean, tore us to shreds for QPR, similar build and, and similar style of player. So it's going to be interesting to see how we cope with him. I mean, just finally, is there any changes that you'd like to see going into Tuesday night? I know obviously with injuries and such, it, it is going to be difficult, but, you know, Uche perhaps, or is there any anyone else that you'd be tempted to throw back in? Um. I think we do need to be, yeah, I'd have Uche maybe. I think obviously as well, up until this point of recording, we don't know whether Crooks' suspension is going to be overturned. So yeah. we'll just look at it as though he is going to be missing. Yeah. Would you like to see replace Crooks? Um, I wouldn't mind us having having Uche in there and just going 4-4-2. I think I'm, I'm looking from a point of view of, trying to defend ourselves, really. Um, I think going back to set pieces, um, it's clear to see our set piece coach probably doesn't exist after last week, after the weekend. But um, Sheffield United, if if anyone wants to go back and watch their performance away at Hull last weekend, um, they won the game 3-0. And they've got they've got Connor Hurahan as well, who puts in a fantastic yeah. set piece and delivery. And they, they scored two goals away at Hull from, from corners. And they only had two men in the box. They put two men in the box and they've got John Egan in there as well. And he's a very physical centre-half. And he got in front of his marker twice through creative set pieces and Bag two goals, a brace for a centre half. So we do need to we do need to be wary from set pieces because 
we'll get punished if we defend the way we we are. Uh, well, if we defend the way we attack set pieces, we'll get absolutely battered. But yeah, I think I think to be fair, going back to the selection for the team, I'd say possibly Uche up front um, in a four four two. We need someone up there to be physical with Egan, um, as well as their other centre halves. They're all very physical, and uh, we we hopefully can get down the get down the wings and exploit them when they play three at the back. Hopefully, get slipped in, get some balls slipped in down the side of some centre halves, and our wingers can create for us. Yeah, well, I mean, they've, they've sort of been alternating this season from a three and a four. I mean, obviously, typically we, um, we spoke about it with Wild. It was always a three, but Jukanovic has changed it a few times. So, obviously, we'll we'll wait to see whether that is a three or a four. But just finally on the Sheffield United game, there's one man who I'm sure will be delighted to be coming back to the Riverside. If you are going to the game, just a piece of advice hide from any of Adelaide Guadiora's shots from outside the box <laughs> because you may be hit with a football that is stray. Yeah, so, I mean, Nathan, just, yeah, to try and finish on a bit of a joke, to be honest, because this podcast has been very oh, Hopefully, hopefully we're, uh, we're not going to be clipping that come Tuesday night when Guadiora's thundered one in from 40 yards. Yeah, nothing would surprise me at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> it would just about sum up everything that's going on at the moment, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable, but yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, come later in the week, we're, uh, we're going into the whole game with a bit more optimism and hopefully Borough produce something. It's it's hard to, uh, to be it's optimistic to at the minute. Yeah, it's hard to imagine, but, you know, we've got to be positive. Uh, in terms of the whole game, obviously we haven't spoke about it in this podcast, but I think me and Nathan are planning on doing something after the Sheffield United game to sort of preview and uh, review the, the Sheffield United result and preview the trip to Hull. So I think that is probably a good place to wrap this podcast up. Uh, it's been it's been an interesting one. I'm, I'm sure people will be interested to hear our views on Neil Warnock and obviously Thanks for getting in touch through social media and letting us know your thoughts on Neil Warnock and, yeah, just interacting as always. So from me, Nathan, thank you, as always, for listening to the Brockless podcast and we'll see you again soon on YouTube or if you're listening on any of the any of the several <laughs> audio platforms you can access us on. So, yeah, thanks again for listening and watching. And that's been another episode of the Brockless Podcast. Bye, bye.